I want to return to and conclude the teaching that we have been going forth with uh, from our book, Fight for Your Family. And uh, we brought some books again with us. They're in the back. Um, and as part of the Fight for Your Family uh, teaching, we have been going through and looking at the 10 gates that surrounded the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. Actually, the 10 gates is only one part of this book. Uh, and, for, and for those of you that may have already picked up a copy, you know what I mean. This book doesn't necessarily come from a teaching series. Uh, this is actually part of a prayer series. Um, back at the end of the fall of 2012, we began praying uh, each and every week with our with our uh, congregation, and um, the Lord had us to look at the each one of the gates surrounding the city and to pray about it and to show its prophetic significance in our lives in very practical ways, in our hearts and in our homes. And so as each week we gathered, um, we would just uh, give the, the significance of it and then pray. Uh, and in between those weeks, I would send an email to our followers as well as those in the congregation uh, about what we shared about each Sunday. So Sunday we'd share and pray, and then on Wednesday they'd get an email to follow up on what we prayed and talked about. And so when we gathered all of those emails, <laughs> uh, it filled the book. And because you can really think of this as more like a prayer journal, uh, so some of you, if you've read it through, you say, wow, this doesn't read like a regular book. And that's because it isn't. It's, a, it's really a prayer journal, just a listing of the things that God was speaking to us at that time, each and every week, the revelation that he was giving us, coming directly from the emails that we were sending out. In fact, all of our devotional books are basically weekly emails and newsletters. And we just gathered them all up and compiled them into books. Wow, that's a different way to write a book. I thought I was crazy in doing that until I came across one of Bill Yount. Is that, did I saying it right? Yeah. Bill Yount, he wrote a book like that, where he just took his emails and journals and put it all together in the book. And so I said, okay, I'm in good company. <laughs> if Bill can do it. <laughs> and I, it really, it, really uh, it, it was great uh, uh, confidence and affirmation for me to learn that those of us who move into prophetic like that sometimes do things like that. We don't necessarily write a topical book, an expository uh, breakdown of the Word of God, but just simply putting all together the things that God has just been speaking to us and putting it out there in its raw form. Ha! Ah, it's very dangerous to put things out there in raw form, but we did. And um, so there's about five books back there. For those of you that haven't picked up one, maybe you can today. But this uh, is the series that we've been going through almost every time we've come here, and we've made it through nine of the 10 gates. And so today, we'll finally get to gate number 10. Um, and I just want to remind you, as we're getting started, where this all, uh, give you some of the background and before diving into this 10th gate. Let's just pray as we get started on this today. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to share this word and how through the weeks and months before you have prepared us and brought us up to this very moment where this revelation can now come forth in its fullness. So Carol and I, we both decrease so that you may increase. 
so that what you want spoken will be the only words delivered today. Thank you, Lord. We take authority in the name of Jesus over every distraction, every intent of the enemy to dilute, detour, distract any heart, any home from hearing this and receiving this. Let your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So as you guys know, in fact, uh, you can turn in your Bibles. Our primary scripture today will be, and we'll, we'll make it here. Eventually, we'll get there. Uh, but our, our primary scripture, let me get it here, is it will be 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 11 through 15. That's our primary scripture. I'm going to read this from the New International Version. Usually, I read this from the New King James Version but just for the sake of this particular particular teaching, I wanted to read it in the NIV for a little bit more clarity. First Corinthians third chapter, verses eleven through fifteen. I have my wife to read it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because of the day, because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. All right, so you can hold that in mind as we give you this review. As you guys know, we started by talking about the book of Nehemiah and the journey of Nehemiah and how the Lord assigned him and gave him the task of rebuilding the gates and walls. Ancient cities, including Jerusalem, so there wasn't anything unusual. Ancient cities were usually built like fortresses. Um, in that they were surrounded by massive stone walls with multiple gates. So Jerusalem wasn't the only city built that way. That's how all cities were built. These gates were the weak points in the city's defensive walls, and therefore they were constructed and designed to be as strong as possible. Um, in 587 BC, Babylon attacked Jerusalem. They burned the temple. They burned the palace and all of the houses and all of the important buildings. They broke down the city walls and burned the gates. In about 466 BC, that's 120 years later, Nehemiah was one of the exiled Jews in the service of King Exorcise in Persia. Now the reason why he suddenly talks about Persia is because in, in, within those 100 years, um, Babylon was overthrown by Persia, but still God's people remained in exile, and some were still in captivity, and so they then came under the service of the Persian kings. Uh, Nehemiah learned that the Jews were in Jerusalem rebuilding the temple. Now, the reason why he knew about them rebuilding the temple, that was under the uh, auspices of Ezra. Ezra took on the task of rebuilding the temple. And Nehemiah, hearing about that, um, 
also learned that there were still Jews living in Jerusalem, basically living as exiles, uh, with unprotected walls, no defense. Um, And so many of you know the story. When you read Nehemiah, the first chapter, um, the first three verses, it talks about how uh, um, Nehemiah came into that knowledge and understanding. In Nehemiah, the second chapter, um, it gives you the story of how uh, uh, Artaxerxes uh, saw that Nehemiah was down, uh, saw the, the, you know, the look on his face. He asked him what was going on. Nehemiah told him, so the king gave him permission, provision, and protection to go to Jerusalem and begin the project of rebuilding the gates and the walls. When you read Nehemiah, the third chapter, it gives a description of the restoration of all of the gates. In the third chapter of Nehemiah, you will see that in verse 1, it talks about the rebuilding of the sheep gate. In verse 3, it talks about the fish gate. In verse 6, it mentions the repair of the old gate. Verse 13, the repair of the valley gate. Verse 14, the repair of the refuse gate. Remember when we talked about the refuse gate? (laughs) Verse 15, the repair of the fountain gate. Verse 26, the the repair of the water gate. Verse 28, the repair of the hearse gate and the east gate. And then today we'll be talking about verse 31 of Nehemiah chapter 3, the repair of the inspection gate. Wow. Now, one of the things that happened while they were in this process, you'll find that in Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, it mentions the opposition that they suddenly came up against in deciding to do this. And we find it interesting that here they were pretty much minding their own business. They weren't attacking anybody. All they were doing was rebuilding, restoring what was theirs with the power the permission and the protection of the king. Ezra started rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah comes in years later, starts the rebuilding of the gates and walls. And the surrounding, the people surrounding, the nation surrounding Jerusalem began to get upset. Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, verse 7 says, how it talks about how Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites became very angry. And we took the time to explain, uh, and you can go back, uh, you can uh, catch up with, with Brother Gary, <laughs> listen back to some of those uh, CDs where we explain the, perf- the uh, significance, the spiritual significance of each one of those who oppose them. We showed you what type of people group they were coming from. We showed you the demonic spirits that those people groups worshipped. Therefore, you can understand better why they attacked or why they sought out to attack Jerusalem. But it's because it was because of the demonic influence that these people were under. So it wasn't just something that we just came up with when we said that, when we gave you these meanings. These were the actual demon spirits that these people group worship, historically documented. And so when we showed you the demon spirits that they worshiped and what those demon spirits demanded of their worshipers, then you could see why they would oppose the rebuilding of the gates and walls. It wasn't just an ethnic thing. It wasn't just a race thing. 
It was a spiritual thing. And it's the same influences that we have today. We showed you how the same spirits, those demons that they worship named by the names of Molech and Chemosh, uh, and how those demon spirits demanded uh, homosexual worship, how they demanded the killing of babies, and how it's the same today, because it's the same demon spirits that here with the people of God, just here in our country alone, all we have sought to do was rebuild their temple, restore worship. All we've sought to do is to rebuild and restore the gates around our own hearts and our own homes. We weren't attacking anybody. We didn't go after anybody that was gay or that was having an abortion or living an immoral life. We just simply said, let's get ourselves together. And when we made the intentional efforts to just simply get ourselves together, then we came under all of this attack. And isn't it interesting how it's portrayed constantly in the media as if though we're attacking them. Anybody ever found that interesting? I didn't attack anybody. All we're trying to do is get our own houses in order. <laughs> but it's amazing to me that every time the, the, the true people of God set out to, as we sung today, set my heart on the Lord, how the enemy gets upset. And the reason why, part of the reason why is because when we set our hearts on the Lord, we become like that city that's set on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. <laughs> and even though we didn't say a word to you, you have an example that's set in front of you every day. And people get convicted. I remember one time we were in a meeting, a community meeting, and uh, these young men who were advocating for gay rights were at this meeting, and they started talking about how the Christian community is literally beating people over the head with the Bible. And I, I didn't have a microphone, and I wasn't, you know, it wasn't an open forum type type of thing. But I sat there and I thought, see, here's the deception right there. Because if anybody in the Christian community was literally beating you over the head with the Bible, we would be going to jail for assault. You're not being literally beaten over the head with the Bible. What's happening is, as we are rebuilding our gates and walls, you are being convicted without me saying a word to you. Somebody say amen. That's what's happening. And I'm sharing this with you so that you can be a lot more sensitive to the strategies that we're seeing and we stop backing off and backing down because that's not what's happening. Nobody's literally beating anybody with a Bible. That would be assault. <laughs> no, what's happening is you're being convicted. Am I against anybody that's gay? No, we have gay friends. Some of us, you've got it, you have gay family members. Do you hate them? No, I don't hate you. But every parent understands this. I have the ability to love you even though I do not love what you do. Are there any parents and grandparents that understand what I'm talking about? I love my child even if I do not agree with my child's choices. It does not change my love for my child. 
Now, the reason why people outside of that realm can't receive that is because you don't have the capacity to love somebody that you disagree with. But don't project that on me because you don't have that ability. I have the ability. I'm a parent. I didn't even go to religious or man of God or nothing. I'm a parent. Any parents in the room know what I'm talking about. As a parent, I have the ability to love even if my child is living a way that I disagree with or making choices that I don't agree with. Bless the Lord. So you can tell there's been some serious opposition that has come against God's people as we've been rebuilding these gates. Wow. So now let's talk about this 10th and final gate of this prayer walk, as we've been calling it. Um, The 10th gate is the inspection gate. And the Hebrew word for the inspection gate means, here's the Hebrew word for the inspection gate. It means the appointed place. Write that down. The appointed place. In Hebrews 9th chapter, verse 27, it says, it is appointed for man, but wants to die. And after that, the judgment, the inspection. Restoring the inspection gate means restoring the understanding that one day we all will stand before God. Restoring the inspection gate means establishing the understanding that we're all going to have to stand before God someday. This gate is a reminder that we must give an account of our journey in this life. Many hearts and homes don't have this gate. And when you have a heart and when you have a home that doesn't understand this gate, they tend to live their lives shaped by iniquity, which is lawlessness. Uh, They live their lives with a secular mindset. Now, I know that there are those who teach that there is no such thing as sacred and secular because the earth is the Lord and it all belongs to the Lord, so there is no secular. Well, you're right from the standpoint of the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, and there is no sacred and secular. There's no such thing as a a sacred tree and a secular tree. It all belongs to the Lord, so there's no sacred and there's no secular. But there is secular from the true definition of the word secular. Here's the definition of the word secular. It is a mindset that does not include God or eternity. It only believes in the now, the here and now. Secular from the word time. It only sees the existence of time as it is with no intervention of God in it. And there is no afterlife. That's the mindset of secular. So from that standpoint, oh, yeah, there's a big difference between secular and sacred. So when I speak of secular, I'm talking about the mindset that says uh, there is nothing else except what we see and feel and hear and can taste and touch and know now. Wow. 
If this was all there was, we would be most miserable. <laughs> but that's the secular mindset. So because of that, that's the reason why people live the way they do. Even some believers have a secular mindset. What do I mean? They live as if, though, they're not going to have to answer to God someday. <laughs> you make decisions as if, though, there's no God to answer to. So now you can see why the inspection gate is so important. After all the things we've talked about, going from the sheep gate all the way now to the inspection gate. And here at the inspection gate, the inspection gate says, now, with all things considered, please make sure you live like you know you got to face God. <laughs> Just imagine the households today, the way people live today. Because of this, they have no regard for, the, for consequences. You ever wonder why people make the decisions that they do, especially this up-and-coming generation? Because they have been literally born and bred on there's only the here and now, and do not even be concerned about the consequences of your decision. It is the reason why bullying is at an all-time high. It is the reason why suicide is at an all-time high, because it has filled this nation. Secularism as a mindset. Don't worry about the consequences. Just do what feels good. Do what feels right in the moment. So I don't care about consequences. Wow. So you can see there's a very important gate to have established in your heart and in our households. Uh, listen to this definition. It's no view of life after death. So that's the reason why it's such a challenge today to talk to people about giving their hearts to the Lord and talking to them about sin and talking to them about hell. Because do you know that one of, one of the main doctrines sweeping the world right now is that there is no hell. How could a loving God send people to hell? When the word of God actually tells us, right, it, it wasn't really created for us. So he does not send us. I won't get into that right now. I'm just simply talking about the way the secular mind thinks. So when you've got a view of an existence that does not even include eternity, or it does not even include consequences for my decisions, then you, can you see why it's so necessary to build this gate, the understanding that you, you and I will face God one day. However, now comes to some good news. For the true disciple of Christ, who have established this gate, scripture encourages them by assuring them that the inspection gate or the appointed place is not a place to be feared. It's not a place of condemnation, but rather, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 5, he says, everyone shall receive accommodation, their accommodation or their praise from God. Now, I want to look at that passage so you can really see what that is. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 
I already have you at 1 Corinthians 3, so just go to 4 and start at the first verse. And I'll have my wife to read that for you. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise or commendation will come from God. Now, what is Paul saying in all of this? First of all, he's making the point that stewards have really have one job, and that's to be found faithful. And we are stewards. We've been given um, stewardship in our lives as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as employers, as employees, every aspect of our life, there's something that we are stewarding or someone like our children, we are stewarding. And the main job, the main emphasis for a steward is to be faithful. Then he goes on to say, but for me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. He says, it's a small thing because really, being judged by you, that's not the issue. The issue is I'm going to be judged by God. Because in our assessing, assessing one another, you may think, I'm a great father. I'm an awesome husband. But God knows what's really going on. So you and your human judgment may say, that guy is great. Or in your human judgment, you would say, what a terrible husband. What a horrible spouse. But because you don't know the counsels in the heart, you and I don't know. Only God can judge that. And that's what's going to be decided by him. So our commendations or our praise will come from God because he's the only one that can totally, completely, fully, adequately, thoroughly judge because God's just, God doesn't just simply look at the actions and the deeds on the outside. He's looking at the motivation that's going on on the inside. Paul said it's even so, I don't even judge myself because I can look at myself and say, there's nothing wrong. I'm cool. I don't got nothing. I'm, I've got it all. But God can look in the heart. Remember the young man, that approached, the rich young guy that approached Jesus and said, I've kept everything. So in judging himself, I'm good. And Jesus said, hey, you got one thing. Go and sell everything and give it to the way, the way God judges. So the way he judged himself, I'm keeping everything. I'm doing everything. But when Jesus looked at him, said, ah, you got one thing. Yeah, yeah one thing. <laughs> Anybody ever had God do that to you? Go, one, one small thing. Yeah. 
made me think of that Detective Columbo. Anybody remember Columbo? And they always said, one more thing. He would drive the person crazy who thought that they were getting over, getting past him on the crime. And Columbo would, ah, one more thing. One more thing. That's how the Lord does us sometimes. I've got it all covered. And Holy Spirit Detective Columbo goes, eh, one more thing. <laughs> That's what Paul is referring to here. The inspection gate gives us insight uh, regarding the place for receiving rewards and acknowledgments for that faithful service, though. And that's also what he's referring to. For those of us who are believers, we don't have to be afraid of the inspection gate. Because God sees this as a place where I will now be able to give commendation and even reward. Now comes something that's very interesting. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 8, it says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Look at that, 1 Corinthians 3, 8. Now go back to the third chapter. Look at the eighth verse. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, because a lot of times we put the emphasis on one plants and other waters. God gives the increase. But look at what he says here. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. They're one, but then he says, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's what the inspection gate is about. About you faithfully doing your part. Did you know that the Bible mentions, actually mentions three different judgments are going to take place? There's a judgment of unbelievers. There's a judgment of believers. And the Bible mentions a judgment of the nations. Wow. I would have to take a week to go through all three. <laughs> but for now, I just want to focus on the judgment of believers. And the reason why I want to talk about the judgment of believers is because I'm talking about the rebuilding of this gate in your heart and in your home so that you're not building from a foundation even of fear. Romans, the 14th chapter, verses 10 through 12. You could just write that reference down, but I'll read it to you right now, just a part of it. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, and part of that verse reads, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Then goes on to say, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, which we just read. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, in this context... It's clear that both scriptures are referring to believers. This isn't talking about the judgment of unbelievers. These were letters that were written to the church. And so this inspection gate or this judgment or inspection to determine if you, 
is this is not to determine if you're, whether you're going to receive eternal life. Hear me clearly. The inspection gate for the believers is not talking about being inspected as to whether you will receive eternal life. Let me say it again. The inspection gate for the believer is not talking about if whether you're being inspected to receive eternal life. That's why I had my wife to read that scripture to you from 1 Corinthians 11, um, 3, verse 11 through 15. Now let's go and let's look at that so I can show you exactly what he says. I know Pastor Chris just said something really powerful because most of us have been told that we live in our entire lives so that when we stand before God, he will weigh our good versus our bad to determine if rather we make it in. How many of you have been, you've been taught that? You don't have to raise your hand. And many believers still to this day live that way because they've never really been clear on this. They pray the sinner's prayer, but they still live their lives in fear of the day I die and the day I stand before God because I'm not quite sure if rather I'm going to make it. So that's why we took the time to read that opening scripture. So I want to read it again. First Corinthians, third chapter, starting at verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Stop. Foundation. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's when you got saved. The foundation of Jesus Christ. And you can't lay nothing else. There's nothing else. Now, here is the process. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. This is talking about the judgment seat. This is what's going to happen at the judgment seat because of the day. What day? The day you stand at your inspection. Notice what we started off with. The foundation, Jesus Christ. Then he starts talking about building on the foundation. What are you building? It's the life you're living in your stewardship, in our obedience, in our service to the Lord. You're either building with gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw. Because the day will bring it to light. We're going to bring what to light? What you really built with. Remember what Paul said? That's why I read that to you. Paul said, I can look and say, I'm doing fine. I'm looking at your heart. There's a whole lot of stuff that you think you're building in service to me. I see it as wood, hay, and straw. Now comes the... Now comes the test. It, it will be revealed with fire. And the fire, listen, listen. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
Why isn't this talking about what it takes to get into heaven? Because our works will never get us into heaven. So he would not be testing our works to decide if we're getting into heaven because the, none of our works gets us into heaven. This is talking about the inspection of our works that, are being, that have been built on the foundation of Jesus. He's now talking about our service to him, our obedience to him, our stewardship over what he gave us to manage after we got saved. Isn't this wonderful to hear today? Come on, take a deep breath. Say, yes, thank you, Lord. I can't tell you what it did for me when I had this scripture finally explained to me. Because I had always thought this was talking about if whether I'm going to make it into heaven or not. But Paul makes it very clear. There's no other foundation that can be laid except Jesus Christ. The only work that could be done to get us into heaven, Jesus did the work on the cross because we could never earn it. So there is no other foundation that can be laid. So what's being tested? How we built on the foundation. Our service, our obedience, our stewardship. Wow. Now comes the, the real, this is where I shouted, hallelujah. If what has been built survives, survives what? The testing fire. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Now, the struggle that we have is because is that we've all been told that heaven is a reward. We've all been told that, etern that eternal life is a reward for us living good. We live good enough and then we are rewarded with, with eternal life. But the word of God says, behold, I give you eternal life. Because the only one who could earn that who could earn eternal life for us was Jesus. He earned it for us and then he gives it to us. For by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift, the Bible says. It is the gift. Come on, say it with me. It is the gift of God not works the Bible says it is the gift of God not works lest any man should boast so what's this works he's talking about he's talking about after you have received the gift and now the gift lays a foundation in your life and now from this point on you are to obey him serve him be a good steward over what he gives you. And when we do it the way he says to him, it's like building with gold and silver and costly stones. And when we stand before him in the inspection, he's going to test it with the fire of his judgment 
over our works. Not to see if you're getting into heaven, but now to see how I can reward you. Because eternal life is already yours. Now how can I reward you? Isn't this good news? I know this is a bit meaty today. But this is the kind of teaching that will free you for the rest of your life. Then you won't spend the rest of your life trying to figure out, am I going to heaven? Am I lost? Am I in? Am I out? Foundation laid. Somebody say foundation is laid. It's Jesus Christ. Now say the foundation is laid in me. The foundation is laid in me. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. So now I'm either building with gold, silver, costly stone, or with hay, wood, and straw. And as we all know, hay, wood, and straw burns real fast under fire. (laughs) Now, this is where I said hallelujah. I said that if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward if it is burned up. If what is burned up, what he built, what he or she built, if it burned up, the, here it is, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. That ain't Pastor Chris, that's the word. The builder suffers loss. What does he lose? Whatever reward that God had for you in eternal life. Whatever reward he he had for you in his kingdom. Remember when the two disciples came to Jesus and said, can I sit on your right or your left? Why did they ask that? Because they had the understanding that a new kingdom is being established. And there's going to be positions and seating and authority and responsibilities in this coming kingdom. And we want our spot. (laughs) And you know what Jesus said. You know the story. Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Yeah, we can do it. Yes, we can do that. (laughs) And he said, you will drink of the cup. But as far as where you're going to sit in the kingdom, what authority you will have, what seating you will have, what position you will have, only my father makes that decision. And now I'm showing you, according to the Apostle Paul, how that's determined. He already has slots placed for people. But as the rather you get that spot, That's what's being determined now by the way we're living as believers. Our seating in the kingdom is being determined. Our authority, our placement, the reward. So when you've been a faithful pastor, faithful husband, wife, faithful parent, faithful steward over the children that he's given us, it's it's solidifying the seating the place that he has for us. Because if you're faithful with a little, we thought that that was only talking about the here and now. No, that's secular mindset. Only the here and now. But when we talk about eternal, faithful over little, ruler, 
kingdom over much. And what's determining for us to get there is, are you building with gold, silver, or costly stone on the foundation of Jesus that's inside of you? Or are you just building with wood and hay and straw? Trivial matters, spending time and energy on things that don't mean anything. And the proof that it won't mean anything is when we stand at the inspection and he sets his fire on it. And it poof. And we see from scripture, he says, you're still, you're still saved. But I don't want to stand before God and have all of the stuff that I lived and did in this life to just burn up in my face. Why? Because have the Lord say, I had planned for you to be in this seat. Because, you know, God is preparing us to judge nations, even if it's judging angels. It's like, I had a judgment seat for you, but you couldn't even, you couldn't handle the assignment that I gave you for the 50, 60, 70, 80 years that you had on the earth. You couldn't handle that. So, therefore, I can't give you that seat. I can't reward you with that place. I can't assign you that authority. Yes, you're in, and I believe there will be billions of believers who will be in, will be there. But I want to be able to take whatever crown of distinction that he has for me and be a part of those who can, like we see in the end, when we take off our crowns and we cast them before him. Because that's really what this is all about. Even when he rewards us and gives us, and I don't know what the crowns are going to look like and what the distinctions are going to look like. I can't say that. But I know I want to be one of those ones who, after all is said and done, and he openly rewards us and all of that to be able to say, but Jesus, I give it all back to you. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, take a moment right now. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So at the judgment seat of Christ, believers are rewarded based on how faithfully they served Christ because God's got some rewards for us in eternity the reward is not eternity remember always remember eternal life is my gift but where I will serve in the kingdom where he will be able to place me in the kingdom that's what I'm working for see how things got messed up for us for many many years those of us who grew up in certain denominations we were all taught I'm doing all of this work to make it into heaven but the work is for my place in that heavenly realm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, dear. All right, I got to wrap this up. <laughs> we really don't. <laughs> oh, bless the Lord. So now I want you to turn with me to, these are our final, I'm on the last page too. 
Say, praise God, he's on the last page. <laughs> First Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, and 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5. Let me say it again. First Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27, and 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 5. To me, these two scriptures reveal the rules and the parameters for the criteria of our inspection day. In other words, there's going to be an inspection. There's always some type of rules or parameters that's determining what you're being inspected for and what's, you know, what's, what's expected of you and how to determine how well you're going to do. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to let my wife read this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or lose the prize. Wow. Hear me clearly. Remember, eternal life is a gift. So what's the prize he's talking about? The reward. Again, because I'm running a race. And so I'm awarded according to how well I run the race. And I, won't be dis I don't want to be disqualified and lose my prize. Again, we've been taught losing the prize is losing my salvation. No, he's talking about losing the prize, the reward that God had for me in his kingdom. Aren't you glad to know that you didn't have to try to earn the kingdom? Bless the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 5. I'll let my wife read this one. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So what are the rules? Write these down. I sound like Pastor, I mean, Miles Monroe used to always say that. Write this down. <laughs> what are the rules? Rule number one, when you're standing at the air inspection, number one, you must have the foundation of Christ to even be at this judgment. You must have the foundation of Jesus Christ to be at this judgment or inspection. That's rule number one. You got to be saved, even to be at the judgment seat of Christ. So if you find yourself standing in another line, you're like, uh, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be in the judgment seat of Christ line. <laughs> you must be born again. You must be one of his athletes. You must be one of his enlisted soldiers. That's the only reason why you'll even be 
at the judgment seat because you are one of the athletes, because you are one of his soldiers. He enlisted you, Paul said, because you're doing it so that you may please him who enlisted me. Thank you, Lord. Number two, you must build on the foundation of Christ. Everything we do is either gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. And that's number two. You must build on the foundation of Christ. So number one, you must have the foundation of Christ in you. Number two, you must build on the foundation of Christ. Number three, you must be temperate and disciplined. These are the rules. The the rules for receiving your reward. In other words, this is how we're judged. This is the criteria for the judgment. He says, be disciplined, be temperate, not entangled in the affairs of this life. In other words, don't allow the affairs of this life to determine your course and make your decisions. Because things can be so hard and so confused and things happening that we start allowing what's going on in our life to determine to make the decisions. And therefore, you're no longer building with gold, silver, and costly stones. I've gone back to building with wood, hay, and straw because I'm making my decisions based upon the affairs of this life and not based upon the voice of the Lord. Wow. How many of you needed to hear that today? Yes, Lord God. Lord, I thank you. I just sense, Lord, your wisdom coming through. Instead, let the inspection gate determine your course and decision. Everything that you're about to decide to do, always think, How's this going to stack up at the gate, at my inspection? Every decision. Am I building with gold or silver or costly stone? How will this stand up to the fire? I don't want to lose my distinction, my place, my assignment in the kingdom, in eternity. Isn't it something that we're making eternal decisions in a temporary timeline (laughs) eternal decisions in a temporary timeline but this is why it matters so much that we just stop and think how will this stand against the fire of God bless the Lord And, and rule number four you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ what do I mean by that what, Timothy, what Paul told Timothy, he said, live to please the one who enlisted you. Rule number four, you must endure hardship of a good soldier. You can kind of add, live to please the one who enlisted you. We can guarantee you, you follow these four rules. <laughs> you don't have to worry about your inspection. You don't have to worry about if rather, first of all, you already understand, you don't have to worry about if you're going to make it in or not. That's not what's being judged. But I don't want to lose my place. I don't want God to have to say, well, I really intended you to be over this legions of angels and these three or four nations, but since you couldn't do what I asked of you to do, you gave up on it, you started living according to the affairs of this life, I can't give it to you. I have to give it to somebody else who was faithful. Wow. 
Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for the restoration of the inspection gate. Lord, for generations, our families have lived as if though there's no consequences to their decisions and actions. And Lord, we desperately needed this balance and this reality check to govern us in our daily lives. So Lord, with great sobriety, with great sobriety, we restore the inspection gate. In my own heart, Lord, in our home, we restore the inspection gate, the reality that one day we will stand before you. From this day forth, Lord, I'm going to live like I know I've got an appointment with you. <laughs> in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.